And there was this one particular couple that I read about a while back. Matter of fact, the article appeared on April the 11th, 2014 in the BBC. And the question was, does a baby's name affect its chances in life? An article told about a man and his wife who had a newborn baby, Dalton Cunley and his wife, Natalie. Now, they had tried to determine the name for their little daughter, and, and they had gone through a whole series of names that begin with an E. Well, the only thing about it was their daughter decided that she didn't want to cooperate, and so she came early, and they still did not have a name picked out for the baby. And so when they were asked regarding the name, what they wanted to name the baby, they decided that they would name the baby E. Just the letter E. And they felt like what E could do was, when she got old enough, she'd be able just to complete the name, and she would be you know, able to, to call herself anything she wanted to. Now, back in 2014, she's 16 years old, and she was still known by simply E. Now, that's real short. It's real succinct, isn't it? The only thing about it is they had another little baby, a baby boy on the next occasion. And like her, like his sister E, they gave him an opportunity to add to his name. The only thing was his name, before they gave him the opportunity to add to it, was this. Eugene Haino Augustus Eisner Alexander Weiser Knuckles Cunley. Now, which would you rather have? I'm sticking with E. Um, and not only that, but, but Mr. Conley has a book. You can get it off of Amazon.com, Parentology, Everything You Wanted to Know About the Science of Raising Children But Were Too Exhausted to Ask. I'm not sure that I want to read that particular book. I'm not sure about that particular one. Back to the original question. What about names? There's a man who's mentioned in the Bible, and his, he's the only one, as far as I can tell, who has the name Achan. And you noticed that on the screen when we started tonight, but it, you may have also noticed the title of their le- our lesson tonight, Achan the Troubler. If you have your Bible, you might turn to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Hold on there in the book of Joshua. Keep your finger there. But I just want you to see what the Bible says about this particular man. There, there's a list of names here, and when it comes down to the son of Carmi, his name is given, but notice what else the Bible has to say. The son of Carmi, Achan, and he's called here the troubler of Israel who broke faith in the matter of of the devoted thing. And so we've called our lesson tonight, Achan, the Troubler of Israel. We want to talk about him. We want to think about him. We want to learn some lessons for him. And, and we'll spend some time doing that. Now, I ask you at the beginning of the lesson to turn to the book of Joshua chapter 6 because really and truly what we're talking about tonight begins there. When we think about it, Achan's story begins at Jericho. And when we look at chapter 6 of the book of Joshua... 
we see what we might call, you remember uh, when the wide world of sports used to come on, they had the announcer who's talking about the thrill of victory, and we'll talk about the other in just a second, but what we might have here in the book of Joshua chapter 6 is the thrill of victory. We have Israel marching around the city of Jericho. They did it for seven days. Six days they marched around one time. Seventh day they marched around it, you know, multiple times. And, and what happened to the city of Jericho? Well, the walls fell down flat, the Bible says. They were able to take the city. They were able to, to conquer this, this mighty nation, if you will, this mighty city. But it was all with the help of God. And we've talked about that. We're not going to spend a lot of time. Now, Having done that, what I want you to understand is these people probably pretty much felt invincible at that point. God is with them. God has now destroyed not just a a small king out here as they're coming along the way, but here's this great wall city. The walls wide enough for people to actually live in houses, build houses within the walls or build, build their structures within the walls. And And now God has caused it to fall down flat. All they had to do was follow God's instructions, march around, shout when He told them to, and God has given the rest. And so they probably felt that thrill of victory. They they felt invincible. They knew that they could do whatever it was that they needed to do to conquer the promised land that God had had given them. But then comes chapter 7, and in chapter 7 we see what we might call the agony of defeat. You remember that announcer on, on the wide world of sports? They were showing it, you know, and I, I can remember when he comes to that part about the agony of defeat, the guy's coming down the ski slope and he goes spinning, you know, and, and tumbling and doing all these things. That was the agony of defeat. Well, the agony of defeat found here in chapter number 7 is related to and <coughs> comes as a result of the troubler of Israel, Achan. And you may know the story. You may have read it before. You may have thought about some things. But as you look at it, the Bible talks about the thoughts, if you will, concerning Israel and, and this next little city that they're going out to fight. A city by the name of Ai. And in Joshua chapter 7, at verse number 3, The Bible says, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, you don't have to send all the people out here. You don't have to send the big army out here to go fight against this group of people. You know, just just make it a small army. He says, you don't have to go because these people are few. We've we've already taken Jericho. We, We have done that by the help of God. We really don't need everyone to go. Just send two or three thousand men because this is a small town. We can handle this one. There's absolutely no problem whatsoever to taking care of this one. From the thrill of victory, what they're going to find is the agony of defeat, because when they go out, according to verses 4 and 5, we won't put that on the screen tonight, but if you're looking in your Bible, when they go out to fight this small city, city of Ai, where there are two or 3,000 men, they suffer 36 casualties. 36 of the men of Israel are killed and they're driven away. They can't take this little city. And so when they come back, according to verse number 5, they, 36 of them are killed. And notice at the end of verse 5, the hearts of the people melted. 
and became as water. They're dejected. They don't understand it. How is it that, that we've been able to do such a great thing in chapter 6 and we can't even take this little city here in chapter number 7? You know, that's the same question that Joshua asked. In verses 6 through 9, Joshua pretty much said, Why? God, why has this happened to us? Why? And in verse 7 beginning, the Bible says, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan, beyond the Jordan River. Why, God, why has this happened to us? Verses 10 through 12, God responds. Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? God says, I'm going to tell you the answer to why. What is the answer to why? Why could you not take this little bitty city with, with two or 3,000 men, even if you had sent the whole army? I don't think they'd have been able to take it. Why? God says, here's the reason. Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own things. As you look at that and you think about what is, what is said here, God gives a very blunt answer. Israel has sinned, and he lays it out for them. And what has happened is that God had told them when you take Jericho that you're not supposed to get any of the stuff. You're to destroy it. It's devoted to God. And as a result of that, you can't take any of the property that belonged to them. And so God said, all right, this is not going to work out because somebody stole, somebody lied, somebody took just some of the spoils from the city of Jericho. You keep going on, therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before them, their enemies, because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. God says, here's sin in the camp. Here's something that ought not be in the camp. And as a result of that, I will not stand with you. I will not fight for you. You won't be able to stand against your enemies. As a matter of fact, God has told them that unless you get rid of the sin and the things that had been devoted to me, your enemies will continue to defeat you. You will be beaten by them. From the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat, to, to the dejection that comes with it, to the, to the strong facts 
that God lays out in front of them. God goes on to tell them in verses 13 through 18, you're going to have to determine who it is that has brought this shame upon Israel. Who it is that has stolen some of the devoted things that God had told them not to take. And so they, they go about to, to find out who it is. They come to the conclusion that it's a man by the name of Achan, the troubler of Israel. Now if you remember back there in First Chronicles chapter 2 at verse 7, the Bible says this troubler of Israel broke faith because he had done what? Well, the very same thing is said there in First Chronicles chapter uh, two at verse number seven, who transgressed in the accursed thing. He 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 was one who took what he didn't deserve. He 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 took what God had told him not to take. Verses nineteen through twenty-three, the story really takes another turn. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. They, they still, he still, Joshua doesn't know. The people don't know what, what Achan has done, but he's trying to get him to confess. They know it's him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth beside my tent, with the silver underneath it. Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. Whenever we see that, we have the confession that is, that is given. They, they bring them out. And then, verses 24 through 26, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and the sons and the daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought him up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. As you look at that, what a tragic ending. Verse 26 goes on, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Thirty-six men lost their lives. God's name is to some degree, disgraced. How could this great army defeat such a magnificent city as Jericho? What would people say when they couldn't even take Ai? God would not tolerate the sin. Not even for a little bit. They go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. 
And God says there's a remedy. Get rid of the sin. There were tragic consequences here. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Okay? We're going to talk about some of those tragic consequences next week. But God says the sin has to go. You know, when we think about the New Testament church, there can be sin in the camp in the New Testament church. And sometimes we may wonder why God doesn't bless us in the work that we're doing. Well, perhaps we need to look and to see to make sure that we don't have a troubler among us. And God has prescribed some some ways of handling things in the New Testament, withdrawing fellowship and, and other things of that nature. God is very smart. He's very wise. He, he knows how to handle things and He know how, knows how He wants things handled within His congregation, even in the Old Testament congregation of the Israelites. God didn't allow us, doesn't command us, to take people out and stone them to death today, but he has given his prescription. wasn't so back then. These people lost their lives because of what they had done. What a tragic story. What a troubling story that we see here in Joshua chapter number 7. But now with a few minutes that we have remaining, having sort of gotten an overview of what we find here in Joshua chapter 7, I want us to look at three particular lessons tonight that we can learn, and we'll continue that study next time, next week. But here are three particular lessons that we need to learn from what we see here in Joshua chapter number 7. Number one on our list is simply this. Our sins have an effect on God. They have an effect on God. Look again, if you will, to verse number 1, Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Now notice this next phrase. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Hold that in your mind for a moment. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Going down to verse number 26, I didn't change the number there on the bottom, but uh, that's verse number 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The anger of the Lord burned. The Lord turned from his burning anger. What we need to do for the next minute or two is to think about the terms that are used here. And we need to sort of define those terms according to the original language to to understand some of the things that are being taught to us here. The word that's translated burned here in this passage literally means to be hot, to be furious, to burn, become angry, to be kindled. Well, what about that word anger? That word anger is interesting. It means nostril, nose, face. 
and came to be associated with anger. If you go down to Joshua chapter 7, verse 26, which is still up on the board on the screen, you have the word burning anger again that's used there. It's somewhat different. It's a word that has to do with anger, heat, and burning, and it's akin to the ones that are found earlier. But here's what we need to learn. The point is, our sins have an effect on God, but the words that are used there... Have you ever seen someone who becomes so angry that their face just sort of turns red? It looks like their face is is burning because of the anger that they have. You may have been that angry at somebody or something before in your life. You know, it has an effect on you. That's sort of the picture that we're being given here of God. When God saw the sin in the camp of the Israelites, His anger began to burn. The words that are used there sort of have that idea, sort of present the idea to us that it just almost makes God's face burn with anger. Someone who is so upset with what he sees that his face turns red and burns. You know, if somebody says a word to us or somebody steals something from us or somebody, you know, does something to us or to someone that we love, it's probably no wonder that we might become that angry, that our face might begin to burn. But when God saw the sin in the camp, because of what these people had, well, this one family had done, that's the picture that's presented to us of God. Well, it wasn't really that bad, that, that gold and that silver and that Babylonian garment, surely it must not have been worth too much. God, did you not overreact? Well, no, because 36 people lost their lives over what this man had done. Our sins have an effect on God. Though God feels this way about sin, He still loves the sinner. John 3.16 According to the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, a passage that we've read hundreds and hundreds of times, God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But look at verse 9. Much more then. Having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. You see, our sin so affects God that it invokes and provokes His anger toward us. What we may think is really of no consequence at all. What we may think is really not making any difference has an effect on God. We must not trifle with sin. You know, a lot of times we worry more about how our sins affect other people around us. 
the relationships that we have and how they might be broken or, 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 or something of that nature. But I want to suggest to you tonight that we should not get so worried about the, how sin affects others and forget about its effects on God. We'll stand before Him. We'll answer to Him. He will be our judge. And though He loves us so very much enough to send His Son to die for us, He does not take sin lightly. As a matter of fact, when we turn back again to the pages of the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, the prophet reminds us, you are of pure eyes than even to look at sin. You cannot behold, cannot look on wickedness. Why? It affects God. It's not just a story that we read in the book of Joshua chapter number 7. It's not just going from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. You see, as I study about Achan, I see a sin that's been committed and I see what it does to God. Lesson number two tonight. Our sinful actions cannot be hidden from God. Now, this one should be obvious to us. You know, we, we always talk about, well, you can't hide from God and all those things. But, but again, look at chapter 7, verse 21. And when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them, took them, and see, they're hidden. They're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver and the gold underneath. He goes and he digs him a hole. It's not just a hole out somewhere where somebody might see him digging the hole. His hole is inside the tent that, that he's dwelling in. He, he has gone and, and he's covered them up evidently and, and he feels like they're hidden. They're out of sight from the people. They're inside his tent. They're even out of sight inside his tent, covered up. But God still knew. God knew that he had taken them, for he had seen them take them. God knew that he had buried them because he had seen him bury them, even though he was inside his own tent. They may have been buried, but they were not hidden. Look, if you will, to verse number 11 of this chapter. In chapter 7, verse 11, Israel has sinned. This is what God says in answer to Joshua. Israel has sinned and transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own things, their own belongings. You see, it wasn't hidden from God. Achan hadn't been caught up with yet. Nobody else knew it. But God did. He knew exactly where it was. They have taken it. They put it with their own stuff. They claimed it for their own. God knew. We can't hide from God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked 
and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We can't hide them out on a dark road somewhere. We can't hide them inside some private home. God knows. Now I'm thankful that God sees everything. How could you be thankful? Well, just like God sees the wrong, God sees the right too. He sees the good. He's willing to reward those things that we do that are in harmony with His will. And we know that He will. He's promised to do that even to the cup of cold water that we didn't have to publish and say, okay, now I gave somebody some water. Put that in the church bulletin. Make sure everybody knows it. Just because I had... God said, no, you can't even give a cup of cold water without Him knowing it. And so I'm thankful that God sees everything. But I'm fearful that God sees everything. So tonight we need to ask ourselves a question. How are we living? And, and do, I really, do I really care if God sees me? God sees what I do in the privacy of my home, when I'm with my friends, when I'm talking to my co-workers, that God hears the, the language that I use, the songs that I listen to, the things that I watch on TV, the, 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 the things that I post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or you just go on down the list of social media sites and, and things today. God sees and God knows. And everything that God sees and God knows has an effect on God. You know, sin, though, craves secrecy. Ever thought about this? Why didn't, why didn't Achan wear the garment? and flaunt the money that he had taken? Why did he hide them in his tent, in the ground? Sin craves secrecy. A lot of times we become cowards toward men, while at the same time we try to be brave toward God. Men are not the ones that we have to answer to. God is. And so tonight, as we look at Joshua chapter number 7, it's not just the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It's the lessons that we learn from this man Achan. Our sinful actions have an effect on God. But not only that, our sinful actions cannot be hidden from God. But here's one more tonight. Our sinful actions follow a progressive track. Again, notice, if you will, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, what the Bible says. This is the confession that Achan makes. When I saw among the spoil, the beautiful cloak, so forth, the silver and the gold, then I coveted and I took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. I saw, I coveted, 
I took. Those are the words out of, out of Achan's own mouth. You know, which comes first? The looking or the lusting? Or in our day and time, which comes first? The looking or the looting? You know, a lot of times they see the opportunity to take out that television because they're, all the other police officers are there, you know, they're tied up now and, and we're protesting, we're rioting, we can break these windows out and we can take it because which comes first? Aiken said, I saw. And, and then he says, I coveted. You know, I sure would like to have that. You know, it's really easy to criticize old Achan, isn't it? For seeing the thing, for taking the, 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 the goodly Babylonian, Babylonian garment and the silver and the gold. Pretty easy for us to sit here tonight and condemn him for that. Would you agree with that? He shouldn't have done it. I want you to think about something tonight. Before you criticize him too much, have you ever thought about the fact that Achan hadn't had a new set of clothes in 40 years. He couldn't just run down to Walmart or Belk or any other of the fine places, J.C. Panay, and get him something for 40 years. He had worn the same clothes. It's easy to criticize him. But how would you feel if you hadn't had anything new? No new shoes, no new clothes, get up in the morning dressed the same way. Look, man, that's pretty. It's a fine set of threads. If I'm going to spend 40 more years, I look good doing it. It's easy to criticize him until we turn it around and see, you know what, we may not be that much different. If we saw, what would our heart say? In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings death. It was just a coat and some spare change. Think about that. He probably hadn't had any gold coins or silver coins since he left Egypt. None to rattle around in his pocket. No pocket change to spend. It's not that much. While we were at campaign, we were playing the first night, and I had a little old car wash token that I'd gotten out here at the car wash. 
And they were trying to find something to, kids were, trying to find something to play with. Hayden was out there, and he wanted something to throw. He was throwing rocks, and I said, can't throw the rocks, so I gave him a coin. He started that little token thing. When we got finished, you know what he did with it? He wanted to put it in his pocket. I asked him the next day, have you got your money? He started feeling around in his pocket. Have I got my money? It's not money. It was just a little token thing. Have I got it? He wanted it. You know, we really like to have a little bit in our pocket. It's easy to condemn him. I mean, it's not like he stole the whole bank. It's not like he took everything in the closet. Just a little bit. But I looked. I saw it. I wanted it. And those poor fellas, they're not going to need it anymore. Everybody else was put to death except for Rahab and her family. So why can't I have it? And he took it. It's not just the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. See, it's the lessons we learn from Achan. The lessons that he teaches us. Sin is progressive in nature. What, what are we watching? What are we seeing that causes us to take that next step of, of lusting? You see, the temptation is not what is sinful. Does anybody remember Matthew chapter 4? How that chapter begins? Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Was Jesus tempted? Well, absolutely he was. Did Jesus sin? Absolutely he didn't. He fought the temptation every time. It's not, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to do what is said here in the book of James. To allow it to grow to the point that we're like Achan. Not just to see, but to covet. And to take. And his sin, when it was full grown, it brought forth trouble. Trouble for Israel. Trouble for his own family. There's a lesson to learn. lesson that we need to learn and learn quite well. Well, our time is up tonight. We're going to have to quit. I've got several more lessons that we can learn from this man Achan. But he's called. He's identified his name in the Bible as we read about it. And the only other place that I can think of that, he, that he's mentioned, he's called the troubler of Israel. How would you like to be known as the troubler? For everybody, for... For the rest of time and even into eternity. Yeah, there's Achan, the troubler. I don't want kind of, that kind of name. I don't want that kind of reputation to precede me or to go after me. I don't want it. But that's what Achan had. And it's because of some of the things and, and as a result of some of the things that we've looked at tonight and we'll look at next time. The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat because of the troubler of Israel. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You need to put your Lord on in baptism because your sin affects God. He loves you and wants you to be saved, but you will have to answer for it if it's not washed away.
if it's not taken away. And when we answer to God, and when we're punished because of the sin, if we wait and we don't handle it now, it'd be much worse than simply being stoned to death like Achan and his family. It'd be eternal in nature. So tonight, make it your aim, make it your goal to be obedient to God, even in the small things. Maybe you're here tonight and in the past you've become a Christian, but you haven't been living like one and you need to make something right tonight. If that's the case in your life and you know that you need to do that and want to do it, why don't you do it right now as together we stand and sing? present that have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper and give back to the Lord as he has prospered you. You may now 